0: Hello and welcome to That Moment Heart-to-Heart Talk with Dr. Victoria Grinman. This is a talk to inspiring people about their amazing contribution in the world and their story of struggle through triumph. Thank you so much for joining us. And here we go. Welcome to episode 15 of That Moment Heart-to-Heart Talk with Dr. Victoria Gridman. I am your host and I'm so excited to be here today with someone super special to me. She is my best friend. She knows too much, so therefore she will always be my best friend. And one of my most favorite colleagues and professionals. And uh, her name is Polina Skadron. Polina, welcome. Thank you for having me. (laughs) You are so welcome. Thank you for being here. I am excited to have you on because, number one, there are people that are listening that will definitely benefit from your story, and I can't wait to get into it. And there are just so many amazing things that you do, and you're like, you're like a chef. You're not a baker. (laughs) You (laughs) follow direction but you're like a chef in your profession where I think you put together so many incredible things and that don't usually go together and you you know, really are unique in what you do. So before I even go on, why don't you tell everybody, tell the world, who are you in this world? What do you do? What's so special? So uh, good morning, everyone. I'm Helena, and again, thank you for the
1: introduction. I'm the owner of Play to Learn. And by profession, I'm a speech and language pathologist and I'm also a nutrition educator. And that what I do though is really, I intertwine so many different disciplines because of people like Victoria who um, I know really well and just my interest in so many other professions, especially in mental health and in occupational therapy. So I take all of these little pieces and they're all ingredients and then I mix them up and I choose very specific ingredients for the clients that I work with. So it's there's a lot that goes into even planning a, um, a therapy session. And it can, it just, we can go on and on about
0: like. I mean, you're not kidding. You literally tools. stay in your office until 11 o'clock at night preparing for the next day. Yeah. So it does take a lot. So, who do you work with? Who are the, the people that you work with? So, mainly I work with young children
1: and families. Um, a lot of my clients are diagnosed on the autism spectrum. And I also work with really, really young kids, as young as seven months on feeding difficulties. And then I go for feeding therapy from anywhere to six to seven months. to so all the way up to te- the teenage years. And as you can imagine, it's very different working on feeding with a seven month old than it is with a 14 year old. Um, so there's a lot of tools in my toolbox that I share with, with parents. Um, and then I also work with Kids who have language learning disabilities, Um, I love working with that population also because it pushes me to be even more creative, especially now when the world is on teletherapy um, and keeping kids engaged and still having them take away from the session what I would really want them to take away from it.
0: I love that. So for people who have no clue, because, you know, you and I are special in the sense that we work with people who have feeding traumas and feeding challenges and, you know, food is we can get into this a little bit later, but food and eating so many cultural ramifications related to great, right, you know, with that. So. Uh, When you say feeding challenges, what are you actually talking about? Like, can you give us an example of someone who you're working with who might be someone typical who comes to you?
1: Sure. So um, I've actually lately gotten newer clients with an array of, like we say, feeding challenges. So I have a little guy now who I just started with. He was diagnosed with autism a few months ago, and he's not even two yet, around the age of two, uh, and has a very restricted food repertoire. So the amount of foods that he eats and the variety is very restricted. So we're working using a very play based approach, hence, it's part of my (laughs) part of everything I do. Uh, And it's so interesting because his uh, his mom told me the other the other day that she feels like she's the one who's also being desensitized <laughs> to what we're doing <laughs> because we get really uh, we get really messy, and that's the way that he's finally exploring the foods that are around him, and that's a big a big part of what I do. It's not just the child comes in and eats. It's not really what feeding therapy is. It's the entire family unit. And when mm-hmm. I take on a client, I have to make sure that the, the whole family is ready and they're ready to to commit because it's going to be a process and I let them know that I'm going to change everything. Not all at the same time, but <laughs> everything
0: is going to change. I got it. So I I love this conversation because it really highlights how many different parts of the process of working with someone, working with a family, as it's not just working with that kiddo, it's working with the entire family. It's shifting beliefs, it's shifting behaviors and habits, and really being someone who does the therapeutic part, but also challenges the rule makers in the household, right? And that really takes a lot of collaborative work. So I want to actually weave in your title here, which is incredible because it speaks to what I think we we as professionals who are integrative in our work, which means we we create these experiences for our clients utilizing so many different modalities and some of the challenges that we come up against in creating our identity to be there, to be those kinds of professionals. And so tell us a little bit about the quest for the link between autism, ADHD, and nutrition. So it came about um, on, a, on a walk with another
1: really good friend of mine who's a, a registered dietitian. Um, and we were just bouncing ideas off in terms of like what we want, what the title of this talk was going to be. And we went deeper into why I became interested in nutrition anyway. And it dates back to probably five, even six years ago, when I was actually interested in pursuing a PhD. And I was trying to figure out what my research perspective was going to be. And I knew that from what I've seen already in the field, there, you you couldn't deny that there was something going on (laughs) with the foods that certain kids gravitated toward, like kids with autism, kids with ADHD, some things that they were lacking in their diet. And I brought that up to the committee who was interviewing me. And unfortunately I was told that that's that's impossible to research. So you know me and I don't like (laughs) impossible. Um, I don't believe that.
0: I'm gonna interrupt because for people who don't know Polina, (laughs) there's nothing that Polina cannot do, especially if she's told she can't do it. So in that moment, For you, I I mean, I remember that time. I was definitely in the midst of pursuing my own doctorate. And I remember your interest in really achieving that because, you know, it was something that you thought was really going to be a contribution. And when you were in that space and, you know, kind of going through that creative process for yourself and you shared that very vulnerably with the committee that was interviewing you. What was that like to hear that feedback? It was definitely, I want to say, like a little heartbreaking
1: because it sounded uh, it sounded a little harsh and I had to keep my poker face on and go, oh, okay, no, I understand. absolutely. Um, there can't be a link. And in the back, and when I left, the only thing I could think of was, well, that's not possible. It's impossible that they are just there can never be a link and it's impossible that this research doesn't exist. So I started um, digging. (laughs) I started digging on my own, and I wanted to see what really would set me apart even more in terms of being in this field. So I found a, a program, a master's program online through American University, which was actually really perfect, because their focus was on nutrition education. And I feel like that's really part of what I do is I educate. Mm -hmm. And and that's what we do. We're doing it right now, right? Like we're trying to educate um, the world (laughs) um, in terms of, well, what is it that we do here? And what makes makes us so unique? And how did we find this road to discovery? So through that degree, and what I was able to do, which was really great, was that all of the coursework and it was really intense (laughs) it was like 18 months of the most grueling process I think I've ever gone through and what we were able to do was actually look into the research interests that we really wanted to focus on and for certain courses I looked into um, autism and gut health and Focus on studies and wrote a paper on that. And then for a life cycle nutrition class, which was probably one of my favorites, um, I focused on ADHD and the lack of omega-3 fatty acids in diets of children with ADHD. And so that's how all of this came together.
0: (laughs) So I love that because you found a way and going back to you know that moment do you is that moment in the past now is it something that fuels you i mean it it sounded like it was this disappointing moment that then ended up fueling your quest for this link and really creating where you are today i think it's definitely i've left it in the past and
1: i feel like i've moved forward so much from back from back then we were in 2021 and like i said this was probably over five six years ago and now more than ever i feel like so empowered and the parents and the families who work with me they also get that sense of empowerment and oh i i really can do this and this really is different so that's really part of um what I want to do for other families
0: can you tell us a story about age like one story you have so many because we have so many but if you could just take a moment and think about one story that really highlights um maybe it started as a struggle and and maybe a real challenge and you know uh, when they came to you and then it's really blossomed into something that you um you know, you you consider a a huge win for them and for you.
1: So I have a couple that I'm thinking, a couple of stories. So one was a little girl who I started with when she was around the age of two. um, And she was typically developing in all other ways, except for the fact that she, all she ate was rice cakes. (laughs) So (laughs) Chocolate rice cakes? No, not even chocolate, just plain rice cakes. It was just plain, plain rice cakes. And it took us about a year and a half to of really, and this is what I mean when we talk about commitment. And everybody was committed. The parents were committed. The grandparents were committed. Um, the extended family was committed. Right, so everybody was committed in helping this little girl and family to really expand and show the parents that this really is possible. So. And the process is definitely, it's not a quick fix. And that's something that I tell people all the time that I I can't offer. So if you're looking for that, then I'm not the person
0: for you. And that's super honest. Mm-hmm. That's super, super honest because, you know, it's like a sales, like we've got it all, you know, just, you know, and we can like wave a magic wand. And the truth is that therapeutic work is not waving a magic wand. No. And so um, I love that you just said that. Mm-hmm so it's
1: and it took us it took us some time as they And the approaches it's it's strategic it's definitely slower it's respecting the the boundaries of the kids i think we forget that a lot of times that children have their own boundaries also and we can't just go in there and say okay well now these are new rules and you have to follow all of them mm. but also um that's why the process is also slower because the child has to trust me uh, and i tell families that all the time that sometimes there's broken trust when it comes to meal time and it could be a little bit more difficult at home and sometimes easier for me at the office because i'm starting
0: at a blank slate the child no oh, reason okay. to Stop you and ask a question yeah. so going back to children have their own boundaries. Mm -hmm. That makes all the sense in the world to me. But for those that might be listening, who don't know what you mean by that, because they might perceive children as not having boundaries, or they don't really know what boundaries are. So why consider them? And, you know, those kinds of questions, what would you say to explain what you mean by that? Well, what I mean by that is that
1: I love the no face <laughs> when children go when they start developing that no face for me it's one of the most important developmental Phases because they're establishing themselves as little human beings and they're reaching that state of autonomy. And they're going, well, I have my own ideas and I have my own wants and I'm gonna show you what they are. So that's the boundary they're creating. And if we ignore those or override them, and we'll talk about what that is when it comes to mealtime, when we override those boundaries, what we're telling kids is that you, you I know what you're going through better than you do. Mm-hmm. find the expert on you.
0: which mm-hmm. is definitely not <laughs> the case. And that's mm-hmm. not what we want to that's not at the to the benefit of the child either. Right, right? because when we're lots of times we think kiddos are just these you know, they, they're already developed, but really they are developing beings. And so part of their development is that no phase. At first I thought you said face. I'm like, there's a no face. I don't know something, but you said phase, right? So, and and it comes with a no face, which is kind of cute too, but developing an understanding of our kids and their no phases and that the no phase is something to be respected and, you know, to teach kiddos when, they can, you know, we stop and they can begin and they can make their own choices. And um, I I love that. I think it's one of the most important developmental understandings about kids. Yeah. Definitely. And then, and
1: we'll come back to that. We'll bring that in to what it means when kids say no and push, push food away, because that's a big, uh, that that's something else that we handle all the time. And that's what, um, a lot of the parents come to me and saying, well, they don't want this food on their plate. And they push it away and they say, no. And what do I do? Mm. So going back to um, the, the this little girl, and we actually were able to phase out after about a year and a half because we hit a really great stride. And she started doing really well. And it was really because everything that I did with her was hands on. So even at you know, the age of two and a half, she was participating in making the foods and she was watching and understanding that something goes from being raw to being cooked and experiencing all the feels and all of the, the textures, the flavors, the smells, uh, visually, all of our senses are involved in mealtime. So if you can imagine, we took her from rice cakes which then the parents said to me, those were really dark times. Like I would never, I'm never <laughs> going to forget that. But it was so funny. And for them, and it also helped me realize like, oh, those, that's what they felt like back then. They felt like they were in dark times because their child just wouldn't eat anything except for just plain food, you know, rice cake, rice, <laughs> anything that was flavorless. Uh, and then what what she started enjoying was anything from like asparagus to cauliflower, to wow. fish, to things like her foods being mixed and her saying that things were her favorite. So she's that's that was also a really big win, I think for us as a team. And I consider myself and the family and the child, we're all a team in this. So for the team, that was a really big win was that she can come to the table and choose from anything that was available on the table and the parents knew that she and they also began to trust in the fact that she understood her hunger and satiety cues and that's something that
0: when i don't think i that. understand those yet for myself
1: <laughs> and that's that- is- it's so funny you say that because that's something when it comes to intuitive eating and like mindful eating, which, I mean, you work with mindfulness all the time. When it comes to mindful eating, um, and there's a big difference between being mindful and being mindless when we, when we consume foods. And we've spoken about this before. One of my biggest rules is that there's no electronics at meals because when you we're-
0: People just who were watching are probably no longer watching. <laughs> <laughs> <There's> no <laughs> electronics like during meal time.
1: There's not electronics like in meal because then it turns you turn the fake the focus the focus away from the meal to distract. And the point is that the food is the star of the show. The meal is the star of the show. And even if the child isn't eating and sitting at the table, that's still part of mealtime. And that's still something that we work on. It's the whole family that is having a conversation. And it doesn't have to be about food. It's about your day and what you did. And if the child isn't verbal, meaning like the child doesn't have words yet because they're young, they're you know playing around with the foods that's around them. Yeah. So they're still part sure. of that family mealtime experience, which I think
0: is huge. So what you're really talking about, because as I'm listening to you, I'm thinking these dark times, and then you really bring, and it's funny, but I mean, that's what it feels like, right? Because when you feel like there's no hope, you feel helpless. I remember, you know, a parent speaking to me about feeling like they were a chicken with their head cut off or like a chicken in a cage, right? Like not knowing, like, and if you can imagine a chicken in a cage and can't move, can't get out, can't fly it, right? Just almost helpless, not knowing what to do. And because of the anxiety for parents, they have that difficulty intervening in a calm sort of thoughtful way because they really, really want their child to just improve, right? And so um, just, I can imagine taking a child from rice cakes to being able to have a better palate than I do when I'm a big foodie, right? is just incredible. That's really a lot of growth through something so difficult. Um, do you have another another story for us? Maybe something. I do,
1: I do have another story, and this is um, it's a little bit different because this boy came to me when he was around the age of five and diagnosed with autism, and he was only on purees. So didn't know how to chew mm. and I thought that that was so interesting because our first and <laughs> I'll never forget this this was at my old my old office location and um, so our first meeting that the first evalu- the evaluation that we had we had like uh he wouldn't come to the table so we had a little picnic uh, and he vomited everywhere. I was like this is a great star the parent will never hire me her kid just threw everything up all over um and then they were with me for like over 2 years wow <laughs> um and again like very very committed very committed family and what we were able to do well for this for this boy who was already five think about all of the experience that he's already had ingrained in him in those five years of being alive mm-hmm. right so mm-hmm. it's my role to override those past experiences and override that fear because to him food was scary mm-hmm. didn't know what to do with it when it entered his mouth he didn't know what would happen uh, and a lot of and we had to work through and this is where A lot of my interest in mental health comes in and the certification that I have in family trauma, the reason that I went that route was because there's a lot of focus on mealtime and what happens to the body when the child is participating in the meal and they are stressed. So the digestive system just shuts down. Mm. And when the, ch- when the child isn't hungry anymore and the parents say, well, how come they're not hungry? They can't eat all day. Well, you just stress the entire body. And in order to protect itself, the body goes, well, what systems do I not need? Oh, digestion. I don't really need that right now. So I'm going to shut it down. Mm-hmm. So when our digestive system is shut down, we're actually, we lose our appetite. Mm-hmm. Stress tends to do that for um, for younger kids. So this little guy was so afraid of new foods and because again he just didn't know what would happen so we started with foods that melt and he had a saying and I I love him he had a saying he goes everything melts in your mouth (laughs) (laughs) everything melts and I go yes everything melts so all of the the foods that we I was first introducing to them were things that would just would melt with saliva, yeah. or if you leave it in your mouth a little longer, it would just melt. And for a while, that was the process that we had to take. And a really big um, moment for him was, um, I think they were out in uh, on a boardwalk somewhere. I think maybe in Coney, in Coney Island, um, back in the day.
0: <laughs> we'll um, down, yeah. Oh,
1: back in the day, and I remember the mom saying that they were taking a walk. In, uh, on Coney Island on the boardwalk. And um, this little boy's dad bought uh, cotton candy. And the first thing he asked when he looked at it, he goes, does that melt in your mouth? And they go, yeah, it does. He was like, oh, okay, then I could have it. Like took a huge piece and mm. put it right in his mouth. And the mom like told me that she started to cry. Because that was really one of those first moments that he was really interested and curious about something that he's never he's never had before. So mm-hmm. we took him from that to, if you can imagine, eating sandwiches.
0: Ooh, um, not melting your mouth. No sandwiches, his unless it's an ice cream sandwich. Half of that melts in your mouth. Okay. Yeah,
1: so sandwiches, broccoli, um, any type of grain that. You can think of he was open to everything, salmon. <laughs> like, incredible. It, it was incredible. It was really incredible. And he even told the story that his mom said that one of his friends at school asked him what his favorite food was. And he said um, that he really likes broccoli and asparagus. Like, those are his favorite food. Wow. And he's like, do you really eat hot dogs? I don't, like, that's not really what I like.
0: Mm-hmm. Wow. Okay, that's a word. <laughs> Yeah. You know, something that you keep bringing up, and we talk about this often as well, is in our society, and maybe it's just our Western culture, but we are so prone to doing things that are quick fixes.
1: Mm-hmm. You know, when I
0: talk to physicians or I talk to, you know, functional, um, you know, um, uh, doctors and, you know, just integrative therapy, they all, you know, everybody wants, um, this, like, quick fix band aid for different things. And with our system and funding and just how certain systems work, it's the quick fix sort of approaches that really do um, survive and thrive for many different reasons. And we don't really have to get into that today. But one of the things that you keep bringing up is the commitment piece of the work, right? And it's really what I say and call trusting the journey. And there's a piece of our work that i think you do masterfully in really giving space to the parents to you know understand the importance of consistency and commitment mm-hmm. because when we trust the journey we start to see the gains along the way and it doesn't always come in the beginning of the of the work sometimes it's in the middle and towards, towards the, you know, towards like the, the deep end of it. Right. But If you stay there and if you stay committed, you really do see the gains. And, you know, I definitely see that in my work with clients and what's something that you do that really communicates that message to parents, especially parents who feel they've done it all They don't have the investment time or energy to spend on something long-term. What do you say to them? Because on one hand, you can get frustrated, like a lot of professionals do, and say, go somewhere else, right? I don't want to deal with this. But what we really want is to help the child. Yeah. Right? And and in order to help the child, we do have to um, deal with and find creative ways to really support the parents to understand. I know that, like... You don't see this journey, I do because I've seen. And so, how do you do that? How do you um, have that be communicated?
1: Well, it's interesting because you say trust the journey, and I tell, and I say trust the process. <laughs> um, so, and this is also why, especially for younger kids, I have the parent in the room with me mm-hmm. all the time. Uh, and again, especially for something like a like a feeding therapy session, so that we. And we start. It's it happens really naturally, actually, through conversation, through interactions, and through certain moments that occur. Um, either you know, if we're at the table, or if we're, or or if we're on the floor, and in those moments, I can just look at the parent and and point and go, this 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 is what's happening right now. Just stand back stand back and watch because this moment this is exactly what we're looking for and then i see like the nods and then i i see the light bulb of oh this is it so it might not happen the first session if it does fantastic and what i love is that the the parents who really come on board they reach out because they've heard you know th- there's been talk <laughs> people have spoken about me um there's been and maybe it's taken them for some it's taken them a year to actually make that phone call um and i've been i've been on their mind and now it's you know it's now or never kind of situation uh, and even then i say you know like you trusted in me enough to give me a call you trusted me enough to come in for and and meet me and have me Meet your child, so give give me some time. Like, and that's all I really ask for is that is that trust. Uh, and it's so interesting you say that because um, I have a new uh, a new little girl that I started with. She's five um, on the autism spectrum, and the parent um, reached out to me a year ago, and we didn't um, you know just it didn't work out. And then she reached out again, and they came in, and she told me she goes, you know. In five minutes of being with you, you've just figured her out and you've taught me things in five minutes that I don't think I've heard about in all the years that in all the therapies that she's had. And then she goes to me, she's like, so everybody knows this. (laughs) And it's so funny because I know that you and I talk about this all the time. And in my mind, everybody does. And the more people I need, I realize that not everybody knows, not not everybody knows this, like the secret formula.
0: Yeah, exactly. I love that. And so what would you say, going back to people out there, and it may not be a mental health professional, but someone who is, because you're a speech and language pathologist, who also works with nutrition and you are thorough in your understanding of trauma and how that inter- interacts with everything. Yeah. And so what would you say to someone who is, you know, a speech and language pathologist or someone who has a degree, but they they want to explore the intersection of things, but the outside world keeps telling them, that's not what you do. You know, like, what would you say to someone who's really looking to branch out and spread their wings when they feel sort of confined um, into a certain position or role?
1: I would just say you have to go out and explore what your what it is that you really want. Um, And you can't really be like a jack of all trades, for instance. And I absolutely know that I'm not and I wouldn't want to be. So yeah. we all have the field of speech language pathology is just so broad, which makes it so unique and that you can honestly work with any population you can think of, right? And for that reason, if there's something that you're really, really interested in, you just go out and get it, <laughs> like yeah, that's really get it. it. i mean it, sounds, it it doesn't have to be more complicating than it is it just you're interested in you have to go out and get it and the other thing though is also is, is that you have to be committed to it um i feel like we talk about this often too that we're just students for life and that's something that we're i'm always searching for something else to learn that's within again within my expertise and branching out a little bit but is also that i can intertwine and bring into my own practice so if i'm as soon as when i finish my my nutrition education degree i looked around and go okay what's next like what yeah. else can i well what else can i do next so um it's not Like I'm not looking to slowing down and stopping the learning process just because there's what I feel like when we do we become stagnant and that's that's really a detriment to the profession and it's a detriment to the families
0: yeah one of the things I love about you Polina you're, you're one of my best friends and one of the things I love about you is just how committed you are I know that every time I call you just to catch up right there's always going to be the largest segment of our call where you're talking about your itty bitty client that you <laughs> love. <so much. laughs> I love my itty bitty. He's <laughs> so small. Um, you know, but, but what I love about that for people who don't know you the way that your clients and I do is there's the expertise, but then there's also this deep commitment to getting through regardless of who you're working with. Mm -hmm. And what I know in the field of autism or the field of special needs in general is that there's not one client who's the same, you know, so there's no like one template where you're like setting up for a feeding, you know, therapy, and then like, it's the same setup for the next kid. You literally meticulously look for things um, for each specific child, and you prepare so, you know, diligently for everybody. And there's so many different things in the air, the collaboration with the parents, with other professionals, and, you know, sometimes dealing with the nonsense that comes up, you know, with with you know, with all of that. So, I think just overall, you're a great model for what it means to be a true, um, dedicated professional. And I think the families that you work with are incredibly um, lucky. I can't wait to have children so you can treat them. Um,
1: <laughs> well, it's just, it's so funny you say that because the prep that goes into. Uh, any session, and I would say, especially a feeding therapy session, is like walking de- – sometimes I'll just walk into into Whole Foods or walk into a supermarket, and I'll walk down the aisles and go, okay, what is something new?
0: Who am I looking I, – I, like, shop for my clients rather than myself. I know, and I say, are you eating dinner tonight? Oh, I forgot.
1: Mm-hmm. Um,
0: yeah, yeah. I, I love that. And you do. You really do create um, – just you're very creative and you create a sense of curiosity that I think children learn best in this this um, this just realm of curiosity and you know you create this um, environment where kids are just like we would have kids outside in a playground digging dirt with sticks and just like learning in their environment you really do the same thing in your sessions and it's incredibly inspiring and humbling. Yeah. And so I would love for you to share a little bit about what you're up to and what people need to know about and how they can reach you.
1: So what I'm up to is just continuing to do what I do (laughs) Um, every day. And I've had, uh, interestingly enough, more inquiries coming about with feeding therapy lately, um, I don't. Something's in the air. <laughs> something's in the air, or something's in the water. Something's going on, uh, and I'm. I really love also lately taking on just uh, like a one-time screening, which is just a, a brief, you know, hour uh, evaluation. Whether it's in um, uh, an itty bitty for for language or. A younger child for uh for for feeding and taking on and spending that hour with the child and the family and then actually giving them a plan to follow through at home Mm. and giving them time with with strategies with with an outline of this is what i saw these are the skills that we want to work on Mm -hmm. and this is what i'm envisioning for the future so Mm -hmm. it's really At the end of the day, up to the family to do the carryover. And I think that's something that I've grown even more interested in is having having a family come in and going, well, I know that I can help you. And I also want to want you to have the tools to do it on your own. And why not give you the tools right now? Yeah. Come back to me in a month. And let me know. Um, let me know how things go, and reach back out. And if you need to come in for like another session, we'll, we'll schedule that. And and I've seen that the past three three four families that have come to me like that, um, that's been really more fitting for them and for their needs. Mm-hmm. Also, um, I think really really important. So that par- I feel like some parents and you tell me if you find this in your practice also, when they come in they're they're thinking, am I going to be in therapy forever? Is this a forever thing? Like this is never going to end, this is just forever. So it's, well, you know, come in once, let me show you. And then I'll give
0: you some, I'll give you, I'll give you tools, I'll write out a plan for you. And then you could always come back. I love that so much. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And giving people options, right? I always say Absolutely. my job is is really to make myself obsolete. So you really don't need me. And what better way than to really provide that empowerment up front, And then if people do need support, really making it easy for them to come back and, right. and share that with you. I love that. Um, so I would love for you to leave us with maybe something that you would love for everybody to... To know, or a mantra, or a quote, or something that you just think you know everyone should should have top of mind. What everybody should have at the top of their mind.
1: <laughs> it's like
0: um,
1: I don't really know if I have a mantra, and for me, it's mostly like let kind of like let kids be kids, uh, and mm-hmm. also just
0: more be the observer. A little bit more. So take a step oh, that's back. Oh, that was a milk drop. <laughs> be the observer. Yeah, that was great. Perfect. Be,
1: like, be the observer. And then I also tell parents that silence, a lot of the times, is just golden. Silence really is golden. And uh, take a step back and see what your child can do on their own. Because that's one of the... He says that I think when kids are in therapy all the time and all of these different therapists come in, and it's just something that actually came up late. um, Recently, I started seeing a 10 year old girl and my first question was, well, when does she have time to just be on her own? And the answer that I've gotten was never, Mm -hmm. never just left alone. Mm -hmm. And I feel like that's such an important part of the developmental process is let the child be and and just see what it is that interests them Mm -hmm. and what excites them and what is it that brings them joy um and that's something that's that's actually one of my goals for two of my clients is i'm going to find i'm determined to find something that brings them joy like that's it's not about they're going to talk and they're going to go to college it's i'm going to find something that brings them joy because from that moment, when I find it, then that's where everything's, everything else is going to slowly start to fall into place.
0: I love that so much because that really is the motivator, right? Is teaching kids, do what brings you joy. Don't do it just because I say, do this. And I think because we want kids to excel and be, be great, right? We sometimes tend to be pushy. And so that is an incredible piece of advice. Thank you. Um, yeah. Well, thank you for whoever told you that the link can't be made because it created just you to be stronger, more empowering, and just an incredible force. I love you. Thank you for, for being part of this interview. Um, you you some amazing knowledge. And yeah, we'll talk soon. Sounds great. <laughs>